we start? Okay. Here we are on November 6th. Uh, 2014 with the Science Fiction Club talking about 2312 by Kim Stanley Robinson. So we'll see what people thought of the book in in brief, and then we'll go into lots of details. You want me to go first, uh, Ian? I'm sorry, Evan? Oh, sure, why not? Whoever, you know, it doesn't matter that much as long as people can get in. Okay, let me try to be succinct interesting novel, a little too long, disconnected, and rambling. It was a mystery, but it didn't have the tight, fast pacing. She kind of goes here, and she kind of goes there, and she kind of does this, and she's a little, you know, she's obviously some sort of artist, and they talk about that. There are lots of, um, like, asides in the text, things, notes, uh, lists, abstracts. Those were actually interesting. And you find to figure out at the end what's going on, but the book just seemed a bit nebulous and a bit amorphous to me. Okay, I had a similar opinion, but I only made it through two hours because I thought the writing was so bad, I just couldn't stand it. Ugh, so I gave up after two hours of rambling and, and this and that, and something happened to, to whoever she was and her grandma died, and I just thought, who cares, and I just quit. I had too much other stuff to read. Well, I thought I didn't like the asides either. I, I, I think I, to me it seemed like he was just showing off his intellect. And there were some places when he would start, he would be talking, and then he would just cut off right in the middle of a sentence. I don't know what the purpose was for that. I also thought that the that the detective plot wasn't fully resolved. Um, apparently, Alex was. Has, I don't know if she was actually killed by the cube or the cube, you know, the, those were infected by the cube. But it, to me, it didn't seem like like they really uh, resolved the mystery or the detective part of it that much. But on the other hand, I thought the um, the technology described in it was very interesting. And I liked, you know, the, the the different planets that they described in our solar system. And above all, the, um, you know, those asteroids made into arcs, you might say. I thought, I thought some of that was very interesting. But it was very long. I don't know how I managed to get through it. Well, Mary, you made it twice as far as Lizzie made it. You made it two hours. She made it to 58 minutes. And that was as far as she got. I finished it. Um, there were some things I liked about it, but the word ponderous keeps coming to mind when I think about this book. It was just ponderous. Even the table of contents was ponderous. And just as an aside, those little ellipses were, uh, these were called, they were in the abstract section, which meant that he could have gone on at a much greater length about whatever he was talking about, but it cut it short. Um, and some people might have wished he had cut it much shorter, but he certainly could have gone on at greater length about whatever he was putting in the ellipses and, you know, cutting off the sentences about whatever he was talking about, the future or the asteroids or the climate on Earth or whatever the heck, you know, he was going on about in whichever abstract he was in. Um, there were some things I liked about it. I didn't like the main character, but I liked 
the person she married eventually at the end wore them. I kind of I liked him quite a bit. He was he was calm and he was smart and he was steadfast and he was you know he was warm-hearted but he was stable. She was just weird. I mean you know some of that artistic stuff was actually real that she had done. She mortified you know she engaged all these different mortifications and she was she. She was 105, 35 years old and acted like a 10-year-old. But um, So anyway, I'm, uh, I'll go into more details about that later. But I, I liked some parts of it, but I really didn't think it was very good overall. This is Sherry. I, I wanted to finish it, but I only got about two hours, too. I, I thought maybe it was just because I was distracted because I have some other things going on. But it didn't really grab me and make me want to pick it up and go any farther. So I just never got back to it. Well, I liked it, and I didn't. And I, you know, it's funny, Evan. I was thinking I didn't like Swan either, but yet, I guess I liked her because she, the author, made her realistic. She was a gripe. She was um, interesting. Um, at first, I was like, oh, I don't really like this character. But I guess I liked her because she was realistic. She she wasn't phony. Um, and you're right, Martin. The mystery of how Alex died really didn't get solved. And I also did not... I mean, I listened to the asides in the beginning and actually almost to the end. And after a while, I kind of skipped it. Because it's like, okay, this is, this is, like you're all saying, it's very, very rambling. But when it got to the characters, say, Swan, Warren, Inspector Jeanette, um, you know, it was really cool. Um, <laughs> this author had a lot of time to think. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Well, <clears throat> I thought it was a fairly... I don't know. I, I'm still a little bit um, puzzled about it. I think mushy or lacking crispness is the best way I could describe the book as a whole. And having said that, there were parts of it I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed like when they were up in the Arctic taking care of the um, of the caribou or reindeer or whatever it was. I don't remember now. And the episode with the wolf in the... Um, in the melted place, I thought that was fascinating. But then, as a whole, I didn't think it held together very well. And, um, like I said, it was just mushy. There were a few exciting parts, you know, when they were, when they were lost in the tunnels under, under um, Venus after that, you know, after their, the city was destroyed by that, by that, Columbia, that series of design pebbles or whatever that was shot at them. Uh, and then the, the second time when they were out in space, when that when the when the uh, what was it the ship was destroyed, and they were floating in space, and you wonder would they were they going to survive or not? That was a little bit interesting. Uh, but apart from that, it was rather slow. Another interesting thing, um, I don't know why I got the impression I, I liked that in, the inspector. Uh, what was it her Jean Connect? I thought I thought it, for some reason I had the idea she was a woman in the beginning. I don't know why, <laughs> and then later on it, it kept saying that she, you know, saying he. But it was interesting that the different the different types of humanity that had evolved out there, you know, the spacers, the small people, and then the tall people, and then the and the Warren was the, the, 
sort of made fun of him a little bit, saying that he looked like a toad to some degree. I think my favorite part was where she got to ride the wave. Oh, that sounds so fun. And um, floating in space. I don't know if I'd like that or not. I might. But I think my favorite part was where she got to ride the wave. I I agree. I think that was an excellent part. I had trouble imagining the city Terminator that would go around and around Mercury, staying just ahead of the sunlight. That seemed so strange to me. I could not quite wrap my mind around that, or the volcanoids, these asteroids that were 15 million miles from the sun, and they were very desert-like. I kind of like the idea of the terrarium worlds, where you could hollow out an asteroid and start your own um, biosphere. I kind of thought that was interesting, and thought that those might be interesting places to visit, though the one that was made... I thought that the um, the thing about the uh, the mercury... Um, habitat was almost um, sort of a Rube Goldberg thing. It seemed to me like it was just fraught with so many ways that it could have a problem. And indeed, the problem that they had was an obvious one. I mean, you know, all you have to do is destroy the track and let the suckers toast. Didn't we read a book about a city or something that rolled on tracks? Does anybody remember that? I wasn't with you then, but I was instantly reminded of a young adult series of cities that rolled on tracks. Philip, somebody, wrote several of them, and they were about a kid, and the different towns were different sizes, and they fought with one another. It was sort of a post-apocalyptic world, and there was an elaborate cast hierarchy. I'm betting you could possibly be thinking of that. There was a book by Christopher Priest that's on Bard, and I can't think now what the name of it is, but it involved a city that had to move on tracks because if it didn't if it didn't keep going forward then there was some kind of weird time dilation strangeness that followed it and was ahead of it so that was the one that I remember that about the train this train city exactly that's the one I'm thinking of Mary Oh, I'm sorry. I was thinking of a completely different type of book. That sounds even stranger than this book. Yeah, I wasn't with the club when I read it, but I can't think what the name of it is. I can check because I saved it. I kept it. I feel like a... This is Lissy. I feel a little bit like an imposter in this group because I'm primarily... to feel some kind of warmth and, and identity with of the characters to buy into any kind of book. And so even though I found it kind of, I, I'm kind of unacceptable that these people um, outran this out, they would walk in, in, ahead of the sun and if they stared at it, they would lose their minds. But, and or be killed and uh, burnt, you know, to a crisp, and that these people were addict, you know, had an addiction to it to the point that they did physical damage to themselves because they kind of played chicken. 
so you know some of the ideas were engaging, but since the main character didn't move me, I didn't have an investment, and so I missed I missed out this month and just couldn't hang in there. Um, when we're done talking about the main book, though, I did want to I would like to talk a little bit about a Braille book that I read that was five short volumes long from NLS called The Fifth Wave. Hey, Lissy, that's kind of funny. You said five short volumes long. Yeah, well, as I, I think I said it, but if I didn't, I can see why Alex didn't trust Swan, though. I wouldn't have trusted her either. I mean, of course, the author made things turn out great, but nothing she ever did had any consequences, even if they were wrong. Um, like she's, you know, catching these wild animals, the asteroid, but since she designed the place, everybody was uncomfortable and let it go, and then she tells Pauline as soon as she can about the plan and about, you know, their their worries about the cubes, and of course nothing bad happens because Pauline saves the day and saves the Venus sun shield, so nothing she ever did. But I kept thinking of what my mother would say, you know, because my mother had this way of, you know, when people acted immaturely, she would say, you're such and such, you know, and I was thinking, you know, this woman's 135 years old, but she acts like she's 10 or something. And she, you know, she gets on earth and, you know, and she screams and makes wolf howl noises and lays around, you know, lies down on her back and screams up at the sky. And I'm thinking... Oh my God! What a nut! I think that's partly because of the chronological elongation of that society, meaning that they live longer than we do, and they don't have to grow up. And there seems to be a post-scarcity mentality. Apparently, Peter Diamandis will be right if this comes true. That you know, nanotech. Though they didn't mention nanotech, but apparently everything is abundant there, so there aren't consequences if you're born in the right society, not in poor Africa, but if you're born in the right place, you can live for a long, long, and you can, you know, have easy come, easy go sex in any combination, you can stand it and be the father or the mother of your child. It was out there. Now, that was weird. I have to say, that was weird. Um, The whole sex thing, being a father and a mother, yeah, okay. Um, But yeah, Evan, (laughs) when it said that she pounded the ground and screamed and howled. I'm like, what is wrong with this girl? And that's just it. I think throughout the book, though, I think Warren settled her down a little bit. And it's funny. Well, and that's how marriage goes, kind of. War, uh, you, you settle your spouse down and they kind of, ba- you balance each other. And I'm not sure if she was a balance for him. But I think he settled her down a little bit, but I also think that she had him try some other things, too. Because, for some reason, I don't think he would have tried the wave if it hadn't been for her. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That was a good scene. I mean, there were some good scenes in the book. It's just that, it, you know, there were there were wide deserts of, of well, desert. <laughs> I can't think of what's... Yeah, there were wide deserts of 
desert between the good scenes. And it was just, you know, and even at the very beginning, the author's very self-conscious. Don't think you wouldn't do what these... He's already lecturing the reader in some way, though thankfully he didn't do that for long. But it but it kind of set the tone for me a little bit of this book being kind of ponderous and and lecturing and self-conscious. And, and another thing you mentioned about the nanotech and stuff. Guys, think about this. This is 300 years in the future. There's so little change in many ways. Besides making people shorter or taller, and they mentioned some cellular... And this sexual dimorphism, or whatever the heck you want to call it, he doesn't. He genetic engineering is like hardly advanced at all. I mean, we'll be doing the same things in thirty years, at the rate we're going that he's doing in three hundred, and that's not the only problem. But I mean, it's an amazingly conservative book in some ways, but and this this attachment to Earth that he's got. Everybody's got to go to Earth for once, one out of every seven years to ensure that doesn't make any sense. And and another thing before I get before I stop is the whole thing where when she goes to Earth, I don't know if it's her point of view or the author's where he says unless Earth gets straightened out, or I'm paraphrasing, nothing in space is real. And I'm thinking, did our ancestors who came over from Europe or anywhere, you know, think about you know if less, <laughs> unless my homeland gets they do here means a thing you know and and much less their grandparents Boy, the their grandchildren Ukrainians and, would yeah, really be yeah come on that was just the silliest thing but I mean it, it inhibits his imagination he's really you know I get the feeling he really doesn't believe in space exploration or he he doesn't really take it that seriously he's so attached to Earth there are so many vast resources out there once people really get out there. They're going to be, I mean, it's going to be their home. They're going to, you know, most of them are going to not even think about Earth. I wonder if part of that could be, uh, was he much influenced by Campbell? Um, Because Campbell had that same view. Of course, he wrote in the old um, 1930s, 1940s, and that was kind of his mentality, um, was that he believed that man had to have some sort of attachment to Earth, even if he was in a different galaxy or something. Does anyone remember a story called Songs from Distant Earth? Yep, that was uh, Arthur C. Clarke. Uh, I don't remember it in detail now, but it was a... It was one of his later books. I think it was published in the late 70s or early 80s. I can't remember now for sure. Yeah, I remember the title. I probably read it, but don't remember what it was about. It made, you know, it made me think of, you know, the fact that even though they're far away from Earth, they still have the yearning, you know, for their, their home planet. Well, you don't see that in the Foundation series. I don't even think they mentioned Earth in the originals until, you know, maybe they mentioned it in some of the newer books, which I didn't read all of. But, I mean, yeah. Asimov left Earth behind, you know, in a lot of his old they stuff. They did go back, though. Actually, a lot of authors left Earth behind, you know. If you read some of the Silverberg stuff, he did... Um, even Pern did, you know, McCaffrey did, even though she, you know, said some centuries back there was some, some, you know, ship from Earth or something, but those people were on Pern to stay. So I think a lot of authors just gave up on the, you know, return to Earth stuff. I can sort of see, um, an attraction to that, um, connection with Earth. I certainly 
feel that way. And I felt that um, some of the passages where she was talking about how breathing the air of Earth was so different than breathing the air of any of the other habitats that she had been in, that it, that it made a difference. I, that really resonated for me. But I, I kind of liked Swan in a lot of ways and didn't really see her as immature. And certainly by deciding to repopulate the Earth with the with the animals, um, that certainly had consequences. And the implication that I got from the book was that that really did start a whole revolution in the way that Earth behaved. So, um, I don't know. I, I just didn't see... I thought she was rather odd, but on the other hand, she'd had all those enhancements done um, in various ways with all those different things like the bird song stuff and... Um, everything, including the nanotechnology that, or I believe it was nanotechnology that she had um, taken at one point. So she was sort of a strange combination, and that made her a little bit different than probably any other person. Well, I mean, in a way, that problem with the book, because there, in 300 years, there would have been a lot more people like her, or should have been, not necessarily with the same augmentations or the same modifications but there should have been a lot more of that i would think in 300 years but you know i'm more i mean i'm more sensitive to that than i used to be but you know given you know the way things are going and the way things have been going the last 20 years i just i'm living it you know and it and it, the dichotomies between what i'm living and what him, what he and you know, other authors, some other authors are doing and telling us, you know, that you know things are going to uh, be like, you know, even a few hundred years from now. It just doesn't, you know. I just uh, it bothers me more than it used to that they're just so conservative. Oh, here's Lissy. Um, I was talking to my brother about science fiction, and he was mentioning that um, science fiction really. Um, missed the the mark in projecting how the future would turn out in terms of, for example, projecting how things would be now, say, you know, the writers in the 60s and the 70s, and here we are 40 years later or 50. Um, they, they thought that by now we would have a lot more control over power um, as in, um, you know, nuclear power and energy, you know, use of energy to um, explore planets and, and to make physical advances. Um, science fiction thought we would be far ahead of where we are now. Um, instead of making advances in our ability to use power and energy, we've made management of information and so it's going to be interesting to see whether managing information is going to lead to um, eventual um, ability to harness power and and which which we really haven't made advances at all in that area I don't think I think part of the problem is that in the 60s and 50s and even in the 70s, they didn't have all the political convolutions and the world conflicts. They had world conflicts. I mean, 
the Middle East was still fighting and there was stuff going on in other places, but they didn't realize that even the the Internet and everything would have all of the terrorism effects. I mean, there's no way you could have even prevented or even predicted um, 9-11, you know. And there's just a lot of stuff that cropped up. And there, if you read science fiction of the 50s, 60s, and even into the 40s, there was a certain innocence about that age. They just didn't know that, yes, we have information age type stuff now, but there's a lot of stuff that's resulted from it that was just totally unpredictable. Well, and it's interesting you bring that up, too, because um, science fiction authors also thought we'd be driving our own car, I mean, self-driving cars and have robots, and we're not, I mean, we're close, but we're not there. I think another thing that goes on about that is that what science fiction authors choose to use has more to do with what they need to be able to write the story that they want to write. And so they may do a lot of research in trying to predict things and how things might be in the future. If they choose... um, it's a whole lot easier, let's put it this way, it's a whole lot easier to postulate that we've got huge advances in energy control, et cetera, et cetera, because that makes it where people can go and do things that they couldn't, given the way that things have turned out. But um, I do agree that science fiction has not been particularly successful in predicting what the future was going to really look like. It'd be interesting to compare... Uh, some of the science fiction books books in the 50s, when they did have visions of other planets and things like that, with the more recent authors now, with you know, with more technology available, and and see how much how different the the, the more you know the technology that we now know about, how they they made the you know made this, the fiction did it add more make make planets more realistic or add more technology than the authors back in the 50s or 40s, 50s, and 60s. I had read somewhere that in the 60s and 70s, as more women became interested in and began writing science fiction, Ursula Le Guin comes to mind, they explored different types of social arrangements more than they did, say, hard SF. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, I've been reading a couple of books of science fiction in the 40s, and I think the only woman that I recall seeing in there was Lee Brackett, and she died, I think, in the 1970s. Or was it the late 60s? And then, of course, in the 50s, you had Andre Norton. We've read some of her stuff. And uh, James Tiptree Jr. was actually a woman. She was using a man's name because she thought it would be hard to get published if she didn't use a man's name. And unfortunately, she died probably about 20, 30 years ago. So women in science fiction were very few and far between until probably sometime in the 70s. But remember, in the 40s and 50s, at least what I read in Isaac Asimov's autobiography, science fiction was considered like a tr- like the worst kind of trash. I mean, if you wrote that, you tended not to want to admit it. It was very looked down upon. It was like this stuff that pulp, um, pulp fiction used. Unfortunately, it was really... You know, it seemed like it was really like, ew. I know 
Isaac Asimov was, I think he had a PhD in biochemistry. I'm not sure if he taught, but I know when he decided to write science fiction full time, it was like, oh my God, you're doing what? Well, I will say, uh, back on this book, when um, they started talking about the cubes, I thought it was going to be an, an AI breakout kind of story or AI, you know, starts getting its rights or starts asserting its, you know, independence or, you know, something like that. Like, um, um, I don't know, like Neuromancer, only not as good. Um, but, um, um, and there was a, um, and then it kind of turned out that it wasn't that. It was about some nut who was on this colony who was programming, you know, the cubes. But then there was a note of hope at the end when, you know, we see that one human cube, I guess it was. We see it from their, his, her point of view. And um, Swan lets her go, and she goes to make her own life in the world. And it might, and I think that would be interesting to see how that turns out. That was one part of the book that I think I, I enjoyed. Um, so, I mean, it, as I said, it wasn't all bad. I didn't like it all that much, but there were a few things in it that I, that I, um, that I did enjoy. Um, I have a couple comments about things that, have, that as the conversation has gone on. <clears throat> One thing um, we were talking about um, inhaling the atmosphere of Earth and that being a, a rare, specialized experience that isn't really duplicated anywhere else. And um, it reminded me of the Star Trek novel that we read, and I don't remember the name. I never remember names, but... Um, where Kirk, um, when he got came down to the planet, that was one of the things he did because he thought every he relished the experience of um, absorbing the atmosphere of every new planet. So that's that's just something that those of us that sounds that many of us that enjoy science fiction have noticed and appreciate. Um, another thing, when we talk about advances and where they're coming and where they're not coming, maybe it's because I exp- I have some pain, or quite a bit of pain, I um, noticed that there really haven't been advancements in managing pain for over 150 years. There's nothing new, you know, new packaging, but, you know, opiates are just about it. And and they're there's just where we have gone and where we haven't. We also read another very far future book full of nanotechnology, but they still talked about cancer and having some basic diseases that are um, plaguing us now that seem to still be plaguing those pe- those people in the future. Well, I'll just point out that a true spacer would say that they don't want to breathe the air of Earth. It's full of bugs and dirt and stuff. Their air would be a lot cleaner. Now, that's what they would say. I've read books where, I can't think of any offhand, but I know I'm sure I could find them, where, you know, true spacers would say that. Yes, but the, the, the bugs and the those things are what give the air nuances and make it such a bouquet. Well, okay. Well, I can see a true spacer saying you can have your nuances. <laughs> That's funny. Um, what did you guys think of the way the animals were in their little bubbles? Well, I guess they weren't little, but 
and they came down and the bubbles popped and I wish I wish I could image that. I mean, wouldn't it be cool to like be riding down with some giraffes or of course I wouldn't want to be I wouldn't want to be in the middle of them when they popped out of their bubbles. They'd probably squash us with their long necks or something. But I just, I wish I could imagine that. I didn't really understand the aerogel, or was it air gel bubbles idea. I did understand space elevators. That's been in lots of different SF, though I don't, I can't quite figure out how that works. It's a cool idea, though. The, the ideas in this book like, were rather interesting. Uh, didn't I hear on the news or something that they're developing a space elevator for real? They had to do something because they've had some bad luck with a couple of their ships recently. You know, the there's the Arthur Clarke book that's the first of those um, elevator books, and that really does seem very plausible. I think I think it has to do with a geosynchronous orbit, and basically. Um, there's a belt of that all around the Earth. In a Ben Bova book, I think it was called Mercury, a terrorist sabotages one by blowing up the orbiting platform in outer space, and this thing falls across Earth and, like, kills five million people across Africa or something weird. It's like, oh, geez, you just wouldn't want the terrorists to get on that. Well, should we be think about the, start thinking about what we're going to read for next month? Actually, I've thought... Oh, Mary, is he alive still? John Stratton? I don't know, but he's been gone from the NLS program for quite a number of years now. I, I don't know when the last book was that he read, but I really, really thought he was great. He read um, E.T. I think that was, yeah, he read E.T. That was really good. He uh, read Childhood's End also. Well, he read the second version of Childhood's End. Uh, someone else read the first one, Some a woman from some volunteer taping organization. Who, she did a good job, but um, they redid it, and John Stratton narrated it. He also did the 2001, 2010, 2061, 3001, is that the, what the fourth one is? All of those. He did all of those, too. Yeah, that was 3001. Man, that was a disappointment to me. <laughs> I kept hoping they would find the answer. They never, they never really did. Just the last section of it had these advanced creatures talking about, you know, how how humans are eventually going to um, advance a little farther or something. Yeah, that was a disappointment to me too. <laughs> hey, they're back. Lissy, did you want to talk about your real book? Um, it's a teenager. It's a book for teens. Um, Evan found it grindingly. Um, awful. He kept saying kill and kill some more and kill some more. But it's, um, it's, an, uh, it's about aliens who invade and they have five levels of, of um, methods for annihilating humans. And um, the first one is to knock out all the power and the second is to cause these great earthquakes that, you know, kill thousands by immersion and then um, the third is to spread a plague using birds and the fourth is to have aliens in human guys going around just killing humans wantonly but by then 
they're just small little groups surviving and, you know, barely making it. And the fifth wave is to turn humans um, against other humans, but they don't know it. They think they're killing the aliens, but they're, you know, it's a way of fooling them into killing the wrong people. And it's, 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 there are about, there's one girl looking for her brother. There's an alien who is having second thoughts about all of this annihilation. And then there's kind of a hero who is recruited to murder others who finally starts to figure it out. And then the book ends and there's going to be a sequel. It's already been published. Yeah. Called The Infinite Sea was published on September 16th and Bookshare has a publisher quality book uh, copy of it. But see, it's not really fabulous science fiction. It's mainly me wanting these kids to survive and wanting these kids not to be dehumanized and brutalized and um, it's also me hoping that things will work out before everybody's gone. Yeah, I, I looked at, it's not on Bard, um, I don't think. I mean, I looked it up on Bard and I couldn't find the fifth wave, so it's probably on Bookshare. It sounds like an example of the very popular trend ongoing in young adult fiction, sort of dis- post-apocalyptic, dystopian and it may be a trilogy. They're often in the trilogy format at the moment. That seems to be very popular right now. The Hunger Games helped bring that about, and there are lots of other ones whose names escape me. It's in Braille. You, it should be up on NLS. Bard. If, yeah, it's an NLS Braille uh, book, and it just uh, so it should be up there. And I made a mistake. If I said uh, the book I'm doing for Bookshare that was collected by the proofreader called Ventus by Carl Schroeder. Put it up. It's. I missed it, but I. It wasn't on Bookshare, so I. I scanned it and read it, and it's a really great book. Leela, I'm looking at you. Go read it. And I need to say something. Um, You're right, Dave, about The Hunger Games, and that's a book I would never read. And I guess if I had realized that The Fifth Wave was going to be like The Hunger Games or whatever, I wouldn't have started it. But once I started it, I wanted the girl to find her little brother. (laughs) And so that's why I stuck with it. And as for what we're going to read this month, um, Evan's computer froze, so we missed the discussion, but I do remember we talked about reading an anthology, and I just think that would be fun. Yeah, what did you guys suggest while I was blue screening? I mean, recovering from my blue screen. Uh, Evan, you're kind of fading in and out and going away and coming back, so we missed the name of the book that you talked about going uh, putting on Bookshare. Thank you. I was going to tease him and tell him, you're looking at me and you gave me a blank book? It's called Ventus by Carl Schroeder. V-E-N-T-U-S. Oh, okay, that part did come through, but after you said that, you like went totally away for like a minute, and I'm like, is that the name of the book? Ventus. It's on Bookshare, yes, you said? And we discussed the book, or I was going to say 2312, we discussed um, Battlefield Earth and, um, um, oh, Martin 
gave us a book. What was it? Across the Sea and Through the Sun? Or what was that, Martin? I think I made that mistake. It was Across the Sea of Suns, and I had mentioned that I had read it. And we also talked about 21st century science fiction, which was my suggestion. So I think those are the three suggestions thus far. No, um, Leela, Ventus, I'm... I'm going to put it on Bookshare after the proofreader gets through with it, but it is on Bard. I missed that. I didn't know that it was on Bard. Um, so you can read it to today. You can start it tonight if you're inclined. <laughs> but I think, since you tend to like what I like... Um, go, Leela. Go get it. You'll like it. It's one of the best books I've read in a long time. I'm inclined to read the anthology just because uh, I we, science fiction started in the short, except for the you know Wells and Verne and you know real American science fiction started in the short stories, and we really haven't read very many of them. And um, I'd like to read some of the short stories. Um, I read Battlefield Earth many years ago, and I don't remember it very well. It's very long, and it's battlefieldy. y um, But uh, Across the Sea of Suns is a good book. I read that uh, not too long ago. It's the first book in the Galactic Center series, though it, he doesn't mention that at the time. It starts out on Earth. Um, I hope what I'm saying is coming through. Let me know. Yes, it is. Did, did we read that for a book club, Evan? Across the Sea of Suns. And I think... I'll vote for 21st century science fiction. Why not? We haven't done um, short stories in forever. Yeah. I vote for 21st century because I'm into. I'm excited about short stories for a change. It's long though, but we have five weeks to read it. We're not going to meet again until uh, December 11th, so it's 31 hours. But we have five weeks to read it, so everybody should be able to. Uh, read it, and it's as a sense it's short stories. You can always, you know, if you don't like a story soon, you can dump it and run, you know, jump on to the next one, or skip around to your favorite authors if you have any, or just read it straight through, which is what I, uh, Lissy and I will probably do. So, okay. Uh-